Greetings from First Baptist Church in Stillwell, Oklahoma. Thank you for joining us. To view more and to get in touch, head over to our website, fbcs.us. Now, relax and enjoy your content. Kind of a catchy tune, huh? Praise the Lord. Well, raise your hand if you were here this morning, but you're not here now. Okay, well, good. I think most of you came back. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's good to be here again. Uh, good to be with you. And just a quick introduction for those who might not have been here. Uh, my name is Dan Charlin. My family and I are missionaries to the United States. And in September 2013, God called us out of Vermont, the most spiritually dark state in America, to begin our work. And we teach uh, Americans about America's Christian foundations, why America is in danger, and how to see revival. And this is a very important ministry because most public schools and colleges have not only removed the truth about our Christian heritage, they've also been teaching our young people to despise the morals and values of the Bible. And consequently, Christians in America are beginning to suffer persecution and lose our liberty to practice our faith. So our ministry is teaching the truth and equipping the saints to fight the spiritual battle, fight the spiritual warfare. So uh, as, we, as I've mentioned this morning, we started September 2013, and we have seen over 1,100 people come to Christ. God has blessed the work. But equally as important, if not more so even, is equipping God's people and educating Christians about America's Christian heritage and how we can turn the nation around. We're a faith-based ministry. Uh, we appreciate those who support our work with, uh, with uh, prayer and with, with uh, faithful giving. Uh, also, uh, we have a table in the back, so please check that out before you leave. And uh, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. It goes out the first of each month. And... Uh, you can uh, look at some of the other stuff we have there, information about uh, our ministry, some prayer cards. My wife made some potholders. Uh, so uh, I'm excited to be back this afternoon's presentation. One of the things I love about the PowerPoint series is it's a lot more like teaching. I love to preach, but I love to teach. And when I was a teacher, this is how I dressed. In fact, this tie goes back 15 years. Never mind. Uh, anyway, so I, I love the teaching component. I, I love to teach. Uh, and so this is one of the things that I really enjoy about this work. Uh, this particular message, America's Christian Heritage and the way things are today, enables me to drill down much deeper into some of the concepts we talk about in the Living History presentations. So they complement each other really nicely. I hope you'll be blessed by it. Uh, we're going to move very quickly, so listen quickly. Hold, hold on, buckle up, because we're going we're gonna to get running through this here. Uh, first, let's open up in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to once again address this audience. Thank you for those who have come. We ask your blessing to be upon them. Father, bless this hour. Keep a hedge of protection around this place. Fill me with your spirit. Open the hearts and ears of those who are here that they may have hearts and, and, and ears to hear what you have. Help us to take this new knowledge and go out and do something with it, Father. Help us not to just... Knowledge puffeth up. Lord, help us not to just take the knowledge and do nothing. Help us to take the knowledge and go out and evangelize and, and, and spread the word, spread the truth, Father, and turn America around, Father. Help us to turn back to Christ. Lord, we thank you for all you do. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. Going to be a preacher someday. The daily headlines tell the story. America is a nation in crisis. Horrific crimes, racial tensions, Political corruption, sexual immorality, chaos and confusion rule the land. By the way, I made this about a year and a half ago. Our nation's schools are not exempt. Columbine, it's been 20 years since Columbine, if you can believe that. 
Parkland, just last year, mass school shootings where many children and teachers are killed, murdered. But just 60 years ago, violence in schools was not a problem. In fact, students drove to school with their hunting rifles in the window of their pickup truck with the doors unlocked. School rifle clubs were common, like this one at Tottenville High School in Staten Island, New York. Where is Staten Island? What city is that? New York City. Yeah, it reminds me of that Pace Picante commercial there. New York City? Yeah, this is New York City, guys outside with their hunting rifles at public school. But during the 2015-2016 school year, there were 1,049,200 serious offenses reported in our nation's public schools, including physical attacks and threats of attacks, robbery, sexual assault and rape, and weapons possession. Public schools. The violence impacts every segment of society. Prior to 1983, there was no such thing as a safety seal on products. How many of you remember those days? You brought the bottle of Tylenol home, you took off the cap, and you took the Tylenol. No safety seals. Imagine living in a world where you didn't have to worry about being poisoned. It was like that until 1982 when a murderer laced Tylenol capsules with cyanide in Chicago. I was a sophomore in high school. Remember it like it was yesterday. Seven people, including a 12-year-old girl, were killed. All over the nation, Tylenol was removed from store shelves to stop the panic. I remember my own mother emptying the, the cabinets of Tylenol. Hundreds of copycats took place. Can you imagine that, how sick that is? All over the nation. In 1983, Congress passed the Tylenol bill, making it a crime to tamper with consumer products. And in 1989, the FDA established the federal guidelines requiring that products be tamper-proof. So what changed in America? How did we go from school shooting clubs, even the gals were involved, how did we go from school shooting clubs to mass murder? How did we go from safety and consumer products to mass murder? That's actually the funeral. One of the families lost like four or five people in that Tylenol poisoning. Heartbreaking. Ladies and gentlemen, America, the truth has been censored. But I'm here to speak truth to our culture. We're going to look at two things today, what the Founding Fathers believed and what changed in America. Largely ignored by educators today is the Christian worldview held by the Founding Fathers and the vast majority of Christians in the 18th century. Regarding the Bible, they believe the following. So this is most Americans in the 18th century believe the following. The Bible is the Word of God. It contains absolute truth. It's God's directions for life. And by the way, every area of life. You got a crummy marriage? Go to the Word of God. You got naughty kids? Go to the Word of God. Having trouble at work? Go to the Word of God. Understand justice and judgment. And it prepares man to meet his maker. And shares with us the consequences for violating God's laws. That's what they believe. And you know what? It's still true. John Adams, our second president, said the following. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. We shared that verse with you this morning. John Dickinson, governments cannot give us the rights essential to happiness. We claim them from a higher source, from the King of Kings, the Lord of all the earth. Another one we shared this morning. Thomas Jefferson, indeed I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. 
Does that sound like a deist to you? See, our kids are taught that most of the founding fathers were deists. A deist, to use the clockmaker example, is a guy that created the universe like a clockmaker creates a clock, winds it up, and walks away. So God created the universe and walked away. He doesn't hear your prayers. He doesn't care what happens. He just made it and he walked away. That's what deists believe. Okay? A deist would not make that quote. In fact, out of all the founding fathers I've studied, I can only think of one who was truly a deist, and that was Thomas Paine. But when he wrote, he wrote as though he was a Christian because he was writing to Christians. It was the Christian consensus I spoke about earlier, a Christian culture. James McHenry, signer of the Constitution, listen to this, Bibles are strong protections. Where they abound, men cannot pursue wicked courses and at the same time enjoy quiet conscience. In other words, where the word of God exists and is proclaimed, it's not so easy to go around sinning. Why do you think our public education system and the government has tried so hard to censor the word of God? Remember the other quote I gave the, the, earlier today from the Lord Jesus Christ, John 3.19, this is the condemnation that lies come in the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. People do not want the light of Christ shining anywheres in America today. And James McHenry is, is essentially stating that very thing. Governor Morris signed the Constitution, there must be religion. When that ligament is torn, society is disjointed and its members perish. And are we not seeing that in the last 60 years? Noah Webster, known as the schoolmaster to America. By the way, Noah Webster was the one that created the Webster Dictionary. First one was in 1828. If you want to see what it looks like compared to today's Webster's Dictionary, big difference. The Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. Remember I told you this morning, over and over again, we see the founding fathers believe that our rights come from God. We learn about that from the Bible. And if we divorce civil government from the Bible... What you see happening today is what's going to happen. Now, the word gospel means good news, and the, and the majority of the founding fathers believed it. So I'm going to give you a summary of the gospel. Now, many of you were here this morning. I gave the gospel, gave an invitation for people to receive Christ. You know what? I'm going to do it again. Uh, and, and unlike, you know, we're not the typical, you know, missionaries. We do everything kind of strange. In fact, you're wondering why I'm dressed like you. I, I felt so out of place, I decided to change my clothes, right? But... We're going to give the gospel now at the beginning of the message instead of at the end. And you'll understand why and how it all fits together. But here it goes. Romans 3.23 says, For all have and come short of the glory of 1 John 3.4 Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is a transgression of the Okay. And we talked earlier about how the law in the Old Testament had 613 precepts, but most people are familiar with the Ten Commandments. So when you're witnessing to somebody, listen, before you can take them to Mount Calvary, you've got to take them to Mount Sinai. If they don't realize they're a wicked sinner condemned in God's sight, they're not going to realize they need a Savior. First four commandments deal with our relationship with God. First commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is number one. What are you putting between you and God in your life? Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's called blasphemy. God says he will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, the last six of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with each other. Honor thy father and thy mother. Notice where God put that. He put it above the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. So you see, kids, let me tell you something. It's, it's more important for you to obey your parents than it is that you not kill somebody. 
And I know some parents who have threatened to kill their kids if they don't obey. So it's a, get their commandments ordered properly there. Thou shalt not commit adultery. As we said earlier today, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after, he's committed adultery with her in his heart. And that goes for the, for the girls as well, for the guys. I mean, and it doesn't matter. Thinking about these sins, God says, it's the same as if you'd done them. Thou shalt not steal. By the way, socialism is stealing. It's state-sanctioned stealing. We'll get to that more in a little bit. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. God hates fake truth, which is an oxymoron, of course, right? And thou shalt not covet. Once again, did I say it loud enough before? Socialism is stealing. Thou shalt not covet. Yeah, you got more than me. I want it. Go work. You know, the guy that worked 30 years, 12-hour days, six days a week, earned what he has, and the, the punk kid out of high school has no right to get what that guy has. That's, that's socialism, folks. We'll get, again, we'll get to that in a little bit. I, I hate socialism. I, I'm a little biased, I guess. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is? And we mentioned earlier that death means separation. So we got physical death. When you drop dead of a heart attack or something, your spirit and soul separate from your body. The cemetery is filled with people who have experienced physical death. Spiritual death is eternal separation from God and hell. And I mentioned three things about hell. Place of darkness, place of fire, and worse, it's a place where you're separated from God's presence forever. So it's a, it's a place where you will, upon, upon entering it, the impact of being without God's presence is, is intense loneliness, fear, and anxiety. We've all been there, right? Would you like to be there forever? That's hell. Ever burn yourself on a stove? Anybody ever burn yourself? What was your reaction? Oh, I want more of that! Or was it like automatically jumping away and, and you know, they were from the pain, right? So why is the gospel good news? If you're a sinner and you're going to go to hell forever, why is the gospel good news? Why did the founding fathers embrace it? Because the second part of Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3.16, even, even most lost people have heard this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The next verse says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he, God the Father, hath made him God the Son. For God the Father made God the Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As I said this morning, when you, when you turn from your rebellion against God's law and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your soul's salvation, God takes your sin, nails it to the cross with Jesus, takes Christ's righteousness and holiness and places it on you. It's an imputed righteousness. A legal term means you yourself, you're still a rotten sinner, but because of your faith in the finished work of Christ, God declares you righteous. Amen. Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Who did we offend when we sinned? God. So who do we have to make things right with? God. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, that's Christ, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's a universal heresy called the universal brotherhood of man and the universal uh, fatherhood of God. Let me tell you something. If you're not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, having put your faith and trust in Christ, you are not God's child and you're not my brother or sister. Okay? Now, we're all related in Adam. That's why racism is such a horrible thing. We're all related. 
You know, the beauty and miracle of God's creation is he could take Adam and Eve and from two people's DNA create the whole variety of the world. By the way, science has affirmed that. Not that I need it to, but it has. So, keeping the Ten Commandments, going to church, getting baptized, all those things are works that cannot save you. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness what we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The moment you turn from your rebellion against God and accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in your heart. That's why we sometimes talk about asking Jesus into your heart. Okay? He, he literally, the, the third person of Godhead, the Spirit of God, dwells in the believer. That's something the unbeliever does not have. And if you'll yield yourself, Christian, God's Holy Spirit can direct you and guide you. That still small voice I was talking about. You know, uh, Jiminy Cricket used to say, always let your conscience be your guide. Sometimes your conscience ain't a good thing. Okay? Remember we said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it? But the word of God and his spirit, that's what's going to guide you. So how do we accept Christ? Romans 10, 9 and 10 and verse 13, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, make God, make Christ Lord, the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. By the way, as a history teacher, I taught lots of history, U.S. history, world history, European history, all, all kinds of history. You know, out of all the events that happened in ancient uh, times, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most documented thing by far. Caesar wrote about the Gaelic War. Caesar wrote about it. One person's testimony. And yet it's taught in public schools as though it's just carved in stone. One person, eyewitness, is taught it as history. The Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection was witnessed by over 500 people. And they talk about it as though it's just another religious myth. Hypocrites. They're hypocrites. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, there's your faith, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I gave the story of the judge this morning, and uh, it's worth repeating and it's worth sharing with your friends. The young lady stood before the judge. She was guilty of the crime. The judge is about to pass sentence. He said, young lady, I told you if I ever saw you in my courtroom, I'd throw the book at you because you're guilty. It's one year in prison or a $10,000 fine. I'll let you choose. Weeping out of fear and, and, and angst, she said, Your Honor, I don't have the money. Please don't send me to prison. He, he said, Bailiff, take her away. And they put her into prison and locked the door. And I asked you this morning, was that a just judge or an unjust judge? We concluded he was a just judge. She was guilty. He gave her what the law demanded. God is a just and righteous judge, and he will give you what the law demands. The Bible says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. If you die in your sins, you're... Look, if you're unsaved, if you're not a born-again believer, you're already separated from God. If you die, well, now you feel his presence, as we talked about, but he's not in you. If you die in that condition, it becomes permanent, and you're in hell forever. Well, this young lady was, was sent to prison. Now, at the end of the day, when the judge was done work, though, he took out his checkbook, walked to the clerk's office, wrote out a check for $10,000, handed it to the clerk, said, bring me the girl. The bailiff went to the prison, unlocked the door, said, good news, good news, you're free, your debt's been paid. Someone else paid your debt. The girl went up to the judge, put her arms around the judge's neck and kissed his neck and said, thank you, daddy, I love you. It was his own daughter, but because he was a just judge, he had to condemn her 
But because he loved her, he paid her debt himself. And I said, that is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're a, you're a sinner who deserves hell, but God loved you so much he became a man. That in and of itself is, a, would you become an ant or an amoeba or, or a worm? Crawl? Would you do that? God becoming a man is, is in the, the worm, the amoeba analogy, doesn't even come close to how far down God went to become a man. Why? So he could live a perfect life, fulfill the law perfectly. The only man never do that. And then he could offer himself a sacrifice on the cross. You know, the Catholics make a big deal out of the passion, the physical suffering. Well, other people suffered that way. You know what the big deal is? When he was on the, on the cross and he yelled, Telestai, it is finished. The debt is paid. Amen. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The first time in eternity, God the Father turned his face on God the Son. What is that? Spiritual death. Whereas you and I will take eternity to experience spiritual death, the immortal God could take it on himself there and then. And three days later, he rose again, proving he is God and he had victory over the grave and Satan and death. Who do you want going to your court date when you stand before God? I know who I want my attorney to be. And you can have Christ as your attorney too. You can receive him as your personal savior. And if you believe the gospel, which is what I just shared with you, and you'd like to turn from your sin and your rebellion against God and turn to Jesus Christ, then I'll lead you in a prayer where you can do that. We call it the sinner's prayer. And as I said this morning, you've got to be careful because a prayer can't save you. You could, you could say a prayer a million times still go to hell. It's your faith in Christ that saves you. The prayer is just a way to communicate that to God. It gives you a concrete point in your life where you can point back and say, yeah, I did that. Because Satan will try to get you to doubt your salvation. How many of you doubted your salvation before? I have. You know, usually when it happens is when there's sin in your life. You know, but if, it's always helpful when you can point back to a concrete moment in time where, yes, I remember accepting Christ. When we leave people to Christ at the fairs, we give them a spiritual birth certificate. We write their name. I write down my name as a witness. We put the date, and I say, hold on to that. You're going to need it. So if you'd like to pray and receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I don't want you to pray this prayer unless you mean it in your heart. And this is not for Christians. This is only for those who have never been saved. So I want to give you an opportunity to pray and receive Christ now. I'd like to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you'd like to pray and ask Christ to be your Savior, pray this prayer with me now. It goes nice and slow so you can repeat it after me. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart to God. He hears your thoughts. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin has condemned me to hell. I know I can't save myself with my good works. Lord, I believe Jesus Christ is God the Son. I believe he became a man. He lived a perfect life without sin. I believe he died on the cross and shed his blood to pay for my sin debt in full. I believe he was buried that he rose again the third day, proving he is God and what he said is true. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin and rebellion against you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my life to be my personal Savior. I trust that you're saving me as I speak. Thank you for saving me. 
Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, just for a couple more seconds. Nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask God to bless your new walk with Christ. We had a young man this morning who accepted Christ as his Savior. Praise God. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would you slip up your hand? I'm not pointing you out, but I want to see if anybody else today has received eternal life. Anybody else pray that prayer? Anybody else at all? Okay, thank you, folks. Look up at me. I know it's a little unorthodox to do the invitation at the beginning of the message, uh, but the reason we did that is because saved by faith was the heart of the Protestant doctrine brought to the American colonies by the English settlers. The people who founded this, this nation, this is what they believed. And it was like that from the beginning. That's what we need to understand. 18th century Americans believed they must obey the Ten Commandments, not to be saved, but to please God once they were saved. Most Americans believed in, in living in accordance with the Ten Commandments through the 1960s. That's a 1960s classroom right there. 20th century theologian Francis Schaeffer referred to this as the Christian consensus. By the way, if you want to watch an outstanding video series, watch How Should We Then Live by Francis Schaeffer. You can actually get it for free on YouTube. Francis Schaeffer, How Should We Then Live? Outstanding. Ten half-hour segments. Takes you from the, from the Roman Empire to 1977, and when you watch him talking about current events in 1977, you think he's right now talking about what's happening. Highly recommend Francis Schaeffer. The Christian consensus was a Christian worldview. It started with the founding fathers. Let me give you some examples. The founding fathers believed that the Bible should be taught in public schools. How many of you were taught that in public school? Benjamin Rush. The Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books. By the way, he was known as the father of public schools under the Constitution. We're going to learn about the new father of education in a little bit. Quite a different story there. Noah Webster, schoolmaster to America, our citizens should, be, should early understand that the genuine source of correct Republican principles is the Bible. Governor Morris, education should teach the precepts of religion and the duties of man towards God. This is the stuff they taught in public schools, folks. So why is the Bible banned as a textbook in American schools today? The separation of church and state. How many of you heard of that? There's a wall, right? This phrase has been used to ban Christianity from our nation's public schools. Let's take a poll. Where does the phrase separation of church and state appear? Does it appear in the Declaration of Independence? Raise your hand. If you think of it appears there, raise your hand. How about in the Constitution? Does it appear there? Raise your hand. The Bill of Rights? Some other formal document written by our founders? Is it there? Actually, it doesn't appear in any of our nation's foundational documents. October 7th, 1801, the Danbury Baptists of Danbury, Connecticut, wrote a letter to President Thomas Jefferson. They were concerned the First Amendment would be interpreted to imply that freedom of religion was a right granted by government, when in reality it was a gift from God himself. In other words, it was inalienable. 
God-given and unalterable. President Jefferson assured them that he agreed with their views of the dangers of power in government. And a wall of separation was in place to protect the church from the state. Did you get that order? Why did Jefferson use the phrase? Because Roger Williams, a 17th century Baptist minister from Rhode Island, had also used the phrase. Williams had taught that government had no business meddling in the affairs of the church and had no right to compel any man to worship God in any particular way. And Roger Williams should know he was booted from the Puritan colonies for being a Baptist. As originally conceived, separation of church and state meant that the state had to keep out of the church, not that Christians could not influence the government. And as I mentioned this morning, in the original 13 colonies, you had to be a Christian to serve in government. John Jay, the original, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Let me ask you a question. Who is the current Chief Justice? John Roberts. He is the current Chief Justice. John Jay was the first one. Who do you think knows more about the Constitution and what the Founding Fathers intended? Listen to this quote from John Jay. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Imagine if John Roberts came out and said that at a press conference today. What was that phrase in the book of Acts? They gnashed on him with their teeth. They would rip him to shreds. Now, unfortunately, I don't think you have to worry about John Roberts saying anything like this from what we're seeing of his court decisions. The Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are evolved. What does it say? Created equal, and they're endowed by their grandpa monkey, the creator, with certain unalienable, unalterable, indisputable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Jefferson took this from John Locke's two treatises on government uh, from 1688, and he changed property to pursuit of happiness because it had a broader appeal. It, meant it had a wider scope. But in essence, the, th the three rights that we have given to us by God are life, liberty, and property. I teach children about a lot of this stuff when we go to our uh, children's meetings at schools and stuff. So where do we learn about these God-given rights from the Bible? For example, life, thou shalt not kill. God is the author of life. We have no right to take it. Now, there are instances where we have a, a right or a duty to take life, like self-defense, right? Fighting in a just war. It, it's good to kill Islamic terrorists and Nazis, right? It was good to kill the Nazis, right? Uh, as I used to teach my middle school students, some people need killing. And they would go. And then I'd explain, and they'd go, Liberty, God gives us free will to obey him or to sin. And property, thou shalt not steal. Remember, America was founded on Christian principles, Christian consensus, and Christian virtues. In God we trust. It's on our coins still. They're trying to take it off, but it's still on there. So what changed in America? Humanism. Man is the highest being. There is no God. It's a secular, non-religious view of the world. No, we, no, there's no special revelation, folks. 
That's all a myth. Man can only look for truth starting from himself with no acknowledgement or belief in any divine revelation. No Bibles. Several proponents of humanist thought emerged, with three in particular having a very big impact on American society. Can anybody tell me who these three men are from the picture? Karl Marx? Anybody know that dude? How about this guy? Well, by the time we're done today, you're going to know these men very well. And you can replicate these and use them for dartboards. Okay. They had some common goals. Replace the Christian consensus with a humanist worldview. Replace the traditional family with the collective or the state. Remember I talked about the collectivism this morning? Uh, who wrote that book, It Takes a Village? Remember that? Hillary Clinton. She is a humanist. Some of these people will claim to be Christians. They'll even go to churches with big fat Bibles underneath their arms, right? What did Jesus say? By their fruits you shall know them. How many times have people, you can't, you can't tell me they're not a Christian, you can't judge them. I'm not judging their heart, I'm just inspecting the fruit. They wanted to replace private ownership of property with state ownership of property and replace absolute truth with relative truth. I explained this earlier today for the benefit of those who weren't there and because by repetition cometh learning, I'm going to do it again. Because I can't emphasize enough to you how important it is you understand and be able to explain the concept of relative truth. This is of utmost urgency in our culture and society today. I cannot overemphasize this. Society or the elites in government determine good and evil, right and wrong. And not only changes over time, but contradictions occur frequently. Yes, it will leave you looking like that. 2002, Scott Peterson murdered his pregnant wife, Lacey, and their unborn son, Connor. How many of you remember that? I was a teacher in the Bay Area of California when that happened, and it was literally on the local news. He was convicted of a double homicide for killing his wife and unborn child. Double homicide. At the same time, it was perfectly legal to have an abortion in California, and still is. So if a woman wants to keep her baby, it is considered a human being, and anyone who kills the baby is a murderer. If a woman wants an abortion, it is no longer a human being, it is a blob of tissue. Such contradictions in legal doublespeak are the result of relative truth. You can be convicted of a murder in the same court where they can uphold the woman's right to an abortion. To the born-again Christian who understands absolute truth, we can look at that and say, that is a contradiction. It's irrational. To a secular humanist court based on relative truth, they can look at you with their eyes crossed and go, no, it's not. It makes perfect sense. Listen, these are the people ruling our country right now, folks, and making decisions at the Supreme Court level. In 2019, New York passed a law allowing for abortion up through the birth of the child. Other states are doing the same, and there are even some people saying, after the child is born, you should have the right to abort it. God's word declares in Exodus 21, 22, and 23. Maybe you recognize this passage of Scripture. 
If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. Let me, let me break this apart for you. Any mischief follow. So men are, men are striving, and they hurt a woman with child. Her fruit departs from her. She has a miscarriage, folks. Okay? If the baby lives, he's going to be punished, and the daddy's going to decide how it's going to be done. The judges are going to back him up. If the baby dies, what do we call that today? Abortion. And this is accidental. If the baby dies you will execute the killer. Capital punishment, eye for eye, life for life, tooth for tooth. The Bible doesn't talk about abortion, there it is. And all through the Bible we read about how God's, the men of God, God called, like John the Baptist and David and Jeremiah. In the womb, God knew them before their members were formed. In the womb, God created them. Don't tell me that's not a human being. Now let me just say this before I move on. If you're a woman who's had an abortion, I want you to understand something. God loves you. He will forgive you. And your baby's in heaven. And if you accept Christ as your Savior, you're going to see your child someday. And the first thing your child will probably say is, I love you and I forgive you. But abortion is murder. Now that we have an understanding of what humanism and relative truth are, let's take a look at these three men. These are three men that Satan used to help destroy the Christian consensus in America. Karl Marx, German philosopher, economist, historian, political theorist, sociologist, journalist, and revolutionary socialist. That's a busy guy. Marx provided the philosophical framework for the move away from the Christian consensus. He gave us Marxism, the Communist Manifesto in 1848. He helped to solidify and explain the doctrine of collectivism, where individuals have no rights, only the collective or the state matters. The offspring of Marxist philosophy are socialism and communism. And by the way, we deal with these in that message, Introduction to Devilisms. With socialism, there's some private ownership of property, but with full state control. Private property is limited with state control over education, healthcare, industry, etc. These politicians are trying to adopt the, you know, the single-payer healthcare. What that is, is socialistic healthcare. Through democracy, people vote to become socialist by degrees, like the United States is doing. By the way, we do not live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. So why are they brainwashing people to believe it's a democracy? Because they keep putting things on the ballot, like petitions and stuff like that. They want people to vote directly on things and, and have more of a democracy. Why? Democracy destroyed ancient Greece. Benjamin Franklin said, as soon as the people understand they can vote themselves other people's money, it's over. Alexander Hamilton said, democracy is poison. Our founding fathers did not give us a democracy. If I hear one more president or politician say that, I'm going to explode. They gave us a constitutional republic so that our representatives were separating us from the, the, our passions of the, of the masses from law. You know, after September 11th, we might have been able to get a democracy to vote that Muslims should be banned from the United States. 
That wouldn't have necessarily have been the right thing, amen? With the passions of the people rule, it's mob rule. You know what we're seeing in the streets today in America? Mob rule. Do you want those people going to the polls and voting on everything? I'd rather have their elected representatives do the voting for them. And if they don't like what the representative does, you vote him out. That's how a republic works. Nazi Germany was actually a socialist state under the control of a fascist dictator, Adolf Hitler. Yes, they were socialists. It's not taught that way in the history books, but I'm telling you, they were socialists. In fact, the word Nazi means National Socialist German Workers' Party. It's in their title, but the experts are telling your kids at school, they weren't really socialists. You know why they're telling them that? Because they want you to love socialism. And if, and if they can confess that Hitler was a socialist, you might not be so eager to embrace it. Using relative truth, Germany redefined person to exclude Jews. By law. Now listen. Six million Jews were legally killed in concentration camps under Jewish law. They were not, or excuse me, under German law, they were not murdered. So something like that could never happen in America. It already did. 1973, Roe versus Wade. The baby is not a person. Oh, by the way, Hitler killed six million Jews. We've killed 60 million babies. That makes American culture 10 times worse than the Nazis. Oh, also, he killed 6 million Christians and gypsies, but that's not mentioned usually. Communism, usually introduced by force, like the Soviet Union, Communist China, North Korea, Cuba, etc. This is the Czechoslovakians who were taken over by the Soviet Union. See how they're dressed just like us? I don't mean the guys with the, with the AK-47s. Talk about the other people. They're, they're, one day they have to go to work and they're no longer in a free republic. They're in a communist nation. It, with communism, there's full state control and ownership over everything and everyone. Political opponents are killed and sent to labor camps. The communist leader of Cambodia, Pol Pot, murdered over one million political opponents in what became known as the killing fields. That tree is where they killed children by bashing their heads against the tree. I gave this presentation for the first time in two public high schools in Louisiana, and when I said that, some of the boys in the back started laughing. If I was there as a teacher, that was my school, I would have called them out so fast their heads would have spun. But it was more important to reach those who weren't brutes. So I just, I let it ride. But that's what we're dealing with, folks. Listen, I've seen some godly, good Southern Baptist churches in Louisiana. Some good churches. Okay? This was a public school. It wasn't a church. My point is, is if there's ever a place in America where there's a Christian culture, it's around those areas, right? And yet I had kids in the back laughing when I mentioned this killing tree. By the way, I'm, I'm taking rabbit trails. I hope you're not going to get mad at me if we go over a little time here, because this is so important. just want to say, the reason, we had the reason we lost the war in Vietnam is because the politicians pulled us out of Vietnam and they wouldn't let us fight. When I was in ROTC, I had a major tell me, if, if the politicians had gotten out of the way, he drew me a map on the board, on the ROTC class drew a map on the board, he said, if they had gotten out of the way and let us do what we wanted to, we could have ended the war in 30 minutes and won. But what the communists were doing 
was sending people over to American universities and colleges, and all those videos you see now from the 60s of the riots and the looting and all that, that was communist-driven. That's a fact. I'm not making this up. Even Facebook reported this in their news. And guess what, folks? The same communists are over here today urging these people on in universities now. This whole Black Lives Matter movement, this whole Marxist movement is being funded by very rich white guys like George Soros. Marxist. They're Marxist. They're communist. It's happening today under your watch. In communist countries during the 20th century, over 100 million people were murdered by their own government for opposing Marxism. And the arrogant people in, in the United States who are, who are embracing and promoting this are telling you, but we wouldn't let that happen here. Charles Darwin is our next fiend. He was an English naturalist, geologist, and biologist, best known for his contributions to the science, so-called, of evolution. He wrote on the origin of species by means of natural selection, the preser preservation of the favored races, and the struggle for life. His model replaced God with naturalism. In other words, here's their equation. Nothing plus time plus chance equals everything. And they say, we have to have faith. Next time somebody, you know, spouting off in, in college or, or, you know, at high school about evolution is the right way, blah, 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 blah. So can I just, correct me if I'm wrong, I want to make sure I, I, I understand the, 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 you know, the, the mathematical theory here. So what you're saying is nothing plus time plus chance equals everything, correct? See what they say. Uh, well, you put it that way. You know. <clears throat> this had profound impacts upon the world. We went from this to this. Elites in education, science, government, the media, and Hollywood embraced Darwin's model and mocked, mocked the biblical account of creation. So here are some effects on societies embracing Darwin's model. Relative truth has replaced absolute truth. Loss of respect for human life. Increased violence, abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia. These are all happening big time since we've embraced evolution as a nation. Loss of respect for individual rights. Remember, you're part of the collective. You have no rights. Animal rights activism. You can abort a baby. That's no problem. You kill an eagle's egg, you go into prison. Man's reason via psychology has replaced the Bible in deciding right and wrong. You know, pedophilia is now being declared just a lifestyle by the psychology associations. 30, 40 years ago, they, they, they decreed homosexuality was a mental disorder. Each world's society or culture is of equal value. That's called, again, relative truth. We talked about that more in one of our other presentations. Hitler believed that by murdering the Jews, he was helping evolution by getting rid of inferior races. By the way, there's only one race, folks. It's the human race. The Columbine shooting... During the attack, Eric Harris was wearing a t-shirt that read, Natural Selection. He and Claywell were firm believers in Darwinian evolution, as indicated by the videos and website Harris published. It was all over their website and their writings. They're doing this because they love evolution. They love Hitler. It was everywhere. And you know what the media told us? It was the guns. It was the guns. If it wasn't for the guns, 
You know, because they want to disarm you and me so that this Marxist world order is a lot easier for them to pull into, pull into effect. I like, I like the uh, bumper sticker that said, uh, what was it, uh, guns are no more responsible for crime anymore than the spoon is responsible for Rosie O'Donnell being fat or something like that. Regarding Darwin's book on the origins, Marx wrote to Frederick Engels on December 19, 1860, this is the book which contains the basis in natural history for our view. See, Marx came out in 48 with the Communist Manifesto. Ten years later, we have Darwin. But, but Marx is looking at Darwin's work and saying, ah, this is what we've been looking for. This affirms what we're saying about Marxism. See, evolutionism and Marxism go hand in hand. John Dewey, the last three of the three. He was an American philosopher, psychologist, and educational reformer whose ideas have been influential in education and social reform. Marx provided humanists with a political and economic system. Darwin provided a seemingly scientific foundation for humanism. Humanists needed a way to get Americans to reject the Christian consensus and embrace humanism. John Dewey was the man with the plan. He is known as the father of modern education. I went to a teacher's college. Okay, I got my degree in history from Johnson State College, a teacher's college in Vermont. It's known as a teacher's college. Okay, this guy right here was a hero to those professors. John Dewey was a social engineer. He believed that socialism is the future. His self-appointed mission was to implement the transition to this brave new world. All of his grand theories, his scores of books, his hundreds of articles can be summed up as a program for making America socialist. John Dewey helped lead a humanist movement called progressivism. Ever heard of progressives? Change society through public education. Embrace collectivism over individualism. Promote Marxist economic policies instead of free enterprise. And promote Darwinism over the Bible. How did progressives do this? They took control of the colleges and universities. We're going back to the early 20th century here, folks. They took control of colleges and universities. They promoted humanism and opposed the Christian consensus. They literally rewrote the textbooks. They thought that humanism is science-based, while Christianity is a myth. Just like all the other myths out there. The ancient Greek gods, all this stuff. They lump us all together. They educated the future teachers of America's public school system. So guess what? The public school teachers went out and taught your kids. Dewey was a humanist who promoted socialism and wanted to transform America into a socialist society using the education system to indoctrinate students. Progressive professors, teachers, and others influenced those in education law, politics, and economics. They rewrote the history books so that history was taught from a Marxist perspective. The truth in America was censored. By the 1960s, humanists had gained control of many of our nation's institutions, including the Supreme Court of the United States. 1947, Everson versus Board of Education, they, quote, they said, quote, the First Amendment has erected a wall of separation between church and state. That wall must be kept high and impregnable. We could not approve the slightest breach. 1947, Emerson. They misquoted Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptist using the one phrase and ignoring the rest of the letter. They turned the meaning on its head. They lied. This is a literal historical fact. 
They pulled the one phrase out of context, made it say something it didn't say, and that was the, that was the, that was the uh, what do they call it, the spike in the ground? The congressional records from June 7th to September 25th, 1789, however, not one of the 90 framers ever mentioned the phrase separation of church and state. 1962, now the drums start rolling here, folks. Here we go. 1962 on Gal versus Vital, the court ruled it is unconstitutional for state officials to compose official school prayer and encourage its recitation in public schools. There you go, prayer in schools is now banned. But as a serial commercial says, but wait, there's more. 1963, the Abington School District versus Shemp, the court decided, Supreme Court, eight to one in favor of the respondent, Shemp, and declared school-sponsored Bible reading in public schools in the United States to be unconstitutional. Eight men. This ruling, despite the fact that the founders advocated the Bible's use in public schools, and it had been used in public schools for 160 years. How do you go from that to unconstitutional? Two words, RT. What are the two words? Relative truth. Never mind the facts. Truth is what we say it is. The Bible is unconstitutional. Stone versus Graham, 1980. Now the Ten Commandments are unconstitutional. This ruling, despite a depiction of Moses and the Ten Commandments in the Supreme Court building. Here's from a 1975 official U.S. Supreme Court handbook. If you went there on a tour, this is what they'd give you. Here's what it says, quote, Directly above the bench are two central figures depicting majesty of the law and power of government. Between them is a tableau of the Ten Commandments. 1975. On tours given today at the Supreme Court building, people are told the tablets represent the first ten amendments to the Constitution. Now, if you were educated in public school, are you going to know any different? So some Yahoo like me comes along and says, no, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. And these little Yahoos are going to go, uh-uh, that's talking about the first ten amendments to the Constitution. You're a liar. Truth is what the government says. Wallace versus Jaffrey, 1985, a law permitting one minute for prayer or meditation was unconstitutional. You know why they said that? Because they might really be praying. That's what, that's what the rest of the decision said. Lee versus Wiseman, 1992, the court prohibited clergy-led prayer at middle school graduation ceremonies. And in Santa Fe ISD versus Doe in 2000, now even student-led prayer at football games is unconstitutional. American society changed dramatically. The Supreme Court decisions essentially banned the Christian consensus from public education, replacing it with secular humanism, which, by the way, the Supreme Court has ruled is a religion. The Christian consensus in America, dead. For over 70 years, history in public schools has been revised to reflect a Marxist humanist worldview and produce a particular type of citizen who will embrace Marxist humanist ideals. How successful has this humanist propaganda campaign been in the public schools throughout the United States? Well, more than 80% of voters under 30 years old voted for Bernie Sanders in the 2016 Democratic primary. Bernie Sanders is an avowed socialist. By the way, I, 
when I got out of Bible college, I worked on Church Street in Burlington, where Bernie was the mayor. You know, he was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. I remember walking down Church Street one night, and I saw Bernie coming towards me. I said, oh, maybe I'll have an opportunity to witness the old Bernie, the socialist, right? And I looked at him to make eye contact with him. He had his Navy pea coat on. He's walking. One of the sorriest looking guys ever. Just looked miserable. Just walking. Walked right past me. Never made eye contact with me. Never knew I was there. And I was like, I guess I'm not going to witness the Bernie today. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, another socialist, the latest Marxist zealot elected to Congress. Her Green New Deal would ban oil, gas, coal, etc., and force all Americans to convert to clean energy in 10 years. By the way, if Joe Biden wins the election, he's making her in charge of the energy policy in America. He's already said that. According to the Washington Post, Sakit Chakrabarty, Ocasio-Cortez's chief of staff, has stated this. The interesting thing about the Green New Deal is it wasn't originally a climate thing at all. We really think of it as how do you change the entire economy thing. See, they're scaring all our children into believing that the you know, chicken little, the sky's falling. If we don't do this, 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 and this, the world's going to end. By the way, they've been saying that for 50 years, and it's never ended. Kids are going home and talk to mom and dad saying, you've got to get an electric car, and you've got to stop polluting. Mom and dad, I hate you. You're murderers. This is happening in real life because they're scaring our kids to death over nonsense. And weak-kneed parents who know nothing about absolute truth and principles are listening to their kids. And this guy admits it. It's really about how we take over the economy. How do we do it? By brainwashing the American people into thinking that if you don't give us all this power over transportation, airlines, fuel, everything, give us this power so we can save you from yourself. You don't give us this power, you're all going to die in 12 years. And a lot of people are believing this nonsense. 44% of millennials would rather live in a socialist state. 7% would rather live in a communist country. Millennials are the least opposed to communist ideology when compared to other age groups. Why is all this? I've just told you why. Because they're in public schools. Prayer, Bible reading, and the Ten Commandments have been banned in public schools and replaced with secular humanist thought. We've gone from this to that. And what are we seeing in the streets today? How has American society changed since the early 60s when the Marxist humanist ideology took control? Criminal arrest of teens is up 150%. Teen suicides for ages 15 to 19 are up 450%. Illegal drug activity is up 6,000%. Child abuse cases are up 2,300%. Divorce is up 350%. SAT scores plummet, even though the questions have been made much easier to answer. And I, and I studied this back when I was in college 25 years ago. They actually renormed the test, so it looked like there was a spike going up. The scores actually went down, but they renormed how they did the test, so it looked like education was improving. By the way, at the, the private school I taught at, Challenger, they had 23 schools in three states. I was a director of training and curriculum for a short time, a year and a half there. All these 23 schools in three states, different demographics, okay? The class averages on the SATs were 90th percentile in the nation. You could take me somebody with a bachelor's degree, 
have them sit through my workshop training and challengers summer workshops. And when that teacher hit the ground on the first day of school, you would have thought they were a veteran teacher. SAT scores in the 90th percentile. Why? Because even though it wasn't a religious school, they were teaching things the old way, and they were promoting absolute truth over relative truth. If you could take me into any public school in the nation and give me two years, I could do the same thing in that school. I'm not bragging. I'm just stating a fact. They'll never let me in there. They won't let me 10 feet near the door. They don't want our kids educated. They want our kids manipulated. One in four parents living with a child in the United States today are unmarried. Half a century ago, fewer than one in 10 parents were living with their children were unmarried. And that was mostly widows and widowers. Research released by the U.S. Census Bureau's American Community Survey says states with higher percentages of out-of-wedlock births had higher incidences of poverty. That's a surprise. 72% of adults were married in 1960. Only 51% are married today. The Marxists have promoted the breakdown of the American family so the government can become the new father. And the immorality they've been pumping in the school, the, the homosexuality training, all part of the plan. I'm going over, buddy. You want me to keep going? You want me to stop? In 1960, okay, if a man wanted to make love to a woman, what did he do? He got married. And if a woman wanted somebody to father her children and be, bring her security and financial well-being, what did she do? Okay, and then along comes the sexual revolution. Now, guys, you can, have, you can have relations with any girl you want. You don't have to get married. No commitment. Girls, you don't need a man. You can, you can work and have your own income. You see, are those two policies right there alone transform the American family? Think about that. Two percent of Americans had no religious affiliation in 1960. Fourteen percent today do not identify with any religion at all. Fourteen percent. Here's a snapshot of American culture before the decline of the Christian consensus. Anybody ever watched the Andy Griffith Show? One of our favorite shows. You know, it was a sitcom where Andy Griffith sings Power in the Blood on the, on the TV show. Now, it wasn't perfect. There's a few episodes in there. I go, why did they put that in there? But, you know, by and large, that's a snapshot of the Christian consensus. Father Knows Best. Lots of these old shows. Okay? One of my favorite movies that shows the Christian consensus is The Wonderful Life. Now, I know there's a lot of stuff in there that's not biblical. You don't become an angel when you die. As, as George Bailey was saying, oh, that's, just, that's just screwy. That's bad. That's, that's, that's just screwy. Great show. I, I love it. It's a wonderful life because it shows you a, a, Christ, a Christian-like home with people praying and people caring about their... I mean, this was the Christian consensus, folks. There are two sides to a story. If one side is attempting to use lies, manipulation, and force to keep you from hearing the other side, what does that tell you about them? This is a picture of when uh, Breitbart's editor wanted to go to Berkeley, or Berserkley, excuse me, wanted to go to Berserkley University and give a speech. They rioted in the streets. And you know what? The mayor told the police, stand down. So let me get this straight. If the mayor is a Marxist, and by the way, all the stuff that you're seeing happening in America today is happening in states where the politicians are Marxists in their ideology. I'm not naming a party. You do the research for yourself. 
By the way, I have, a, I have a presentation called American Christians in Politics, okay? And I don't even name parties there. Because when I tell everything the way it is, the truth, you've got to be an idiot not to see who's doing what. You know what? In these states where the, where the Marxist politicians were in control during the pandemic, they were the ones who ruled with an iron fist. In the rioting, they were the ones who stepped back and let people destroy, pillage, plunder, rape, and murder. Today you've learned some well-documented historical facts. Marxists and humanists often attempt to discredit those like me exposing these facts. They use terms like bigot, hater, fascist. Now, am I any of those things? No. But you know what? If truth is what you say it is, then they can declare me those things, and that's the new truth. You see how that works? What are those two, two words again? RT? Today we've learned what the Founding Fathers believed and what changed in America. What can be done about all this? Number one, repent of your sins and be saved. Then no matter how things turn out down here, you'll be with Christ in heaven forever. Number two, if you are a Christian, yield your life completely to Christ. How many of you are going to take this stuff and now share it with coworkers and share it with young impressionable high school students and share it with college students versus how many of you are just going to sit on it and do nothing? The Bible says knowledge puffeth up. A lot of Christians in America have a lot of knowledge and it's worthless because they're doing absolutely nothing with it. God brought you here today. He brought me here today so you can learn this stuff, so you can go out and you can be, listen, you can be the mouthpiece I can't be in your little world. Third, be light for Christ in this dark world by living for him and letting him live through you. Share the gospel so others can be saved. You know why we have so few Christians in America? Or excuse me, so few Christian politicians in America? Because we have so few Christians. And you know why we have so few Christians? Because we're not reproducing. You know, when I was a Catholic, you know how, that, you, know how you make a new Catholic? Have babies. You know how you make a new Christian? Lead someone to Christ. God doesn't have any grandchildren. If American Christians have been doing this the whole time since the 1960s, we would not be where we are today. Listen to me. Okay, I'm not a prophet, but I'm going to tell you something. In this next election, if certain things go south, what you're seeing on the streets in these, in these Marxist-controlled places is coming to a town near you. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm speaking truth from history. Study the Bolshevik Revolution. Study Mao and his cultural revolution. Study these things. When people with these ideologies take power, your freedom is gone, they'll have Christians rounded up and put in concentration camps. I'm not, I'm not here to be a scaremonger. I'm just telling you like it is from history and from the Word of God. Don't take this knowledge I've given you and sit on it. Go out and spread the word. One of the things I share in our American Christians in Politics presentation is that in 2008 and 2012, 30 million evangelicals did not vote. And of the ones who did, 25% voted for candidates promoting unbiblical values. If Christians had voted biblical values in those two elections, we would not have had eight years 
of one of the worst Marxists in American history. And the chaos and, 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 the, and the, the utter divisiveness was intentional to further the Marxist agenda. Because they know that we won't fold until there's so much chaos, we're willing to bow the knee and let anybody with Marxist power get in there. You don't march into a free country where everybody's prosperous and just take over. It ain't going to happen. But if the country's filled with chaos and anarchy and, and there's violence in the street, you'd be surprised what people will give up if they think they're going to get a little temporary safety and security. And Benjamin Franklin said, those who will give up essential liberty for a little safety and security deserve neither liberty nor security. And that is the American Christians today, folks. I'm sorry to say, but that's where we are. When the majority of Americans are Christians again, embracing the Christian consensus, then we'll be able to reverse the secular humanist damage that has been done to our nation, and God will be able to bless America again. Unless American Christians are willing to sacrifice as the Founding Fathers did, all is lost. Let me ask you tonight, would you be willing to pledge to Christ your life, your fortune, and your sacred honor? I ask you to join with me and my family in getting the message out to the lost, yielding your life to Christ. If there's anything I can do to help you after the message today, any questions you have, please let me know. Visit our table. We have prayer cards there. You can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, I have a flyer for the fifth wheel I'm trying to sell. If you know anybody looking for a, a big fifth wheel, uh, anything, anything we can do to help you, let us know. And it's my prayer that you'll take what I've shared with you today and you will go out there and be Christ's disciples, reach the lost, share the truth. You can help save our nation. Nobody else knows the answers, folks. It's going to take Christians to go out there and share. We have the answer. Go out there and do it. Thank you for viewing our content. If you have questions or want to get in contact, please email fbcs.us at gmail.com. Thank you.